0: Well, good morning. My name's Randy. I'm one of the elders here. A uh, couple of disclaimers before I get started. Um, when Matt asked me to preach this uh, Sunday, it hadn't been that long since I preached, and I was wondering why. And then I remembered it's ladies' retreat, <laughs> so not as many people would have to suffer through my sermon. <laughs> so, guys, I'm sorry. I mean, but but ladies, y'all had a choice. <laughs> so I just want to let you know. Uh, you can decide if that was a good choice or not. But um, anyway, I appreciate Matt allowing me to, to speak. And, um, and also, um, last Sunday, Matt, you know, Matt preached, and he was under the weather, wasn't feeling good. And uh, Hart, the last time he preached a few weeks ago, he was sick. Brad just got over the flu. So uh, as a show of uh, brotherhood and fellowship with my fellow elders, I decided to get a really bad cold this weekend so i 'm going to back up a little bit uh, for your sakes um, so let 's see if we can make it through this. Uh, but seriously, when Matt uh, first mentioned this uh, um, this lesson in chapter forty and kind of the end of our our walk through exodus, and uh, we've been going with a the theme as far as uh, um, each sermon title of an activity and action of God, and so chapter forty it's when he reveals his glory. So um, the first thing that popped in my head, I have no idea why, but the first thing that popped in my head was a line from an old hymn. And uh, so I, I couldn't even remember what the hymn was. I just remembered this particular um, line from it. So I looked up the hymn, and, um, and then I looked up who wrote it. And uh, it's somebody that I had heard of, but I hadn't really like done any kind of research on it. But it was a lady named Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, uh, was born in 1820. Uh, she lived till just two weeks short of her 95th birthday in 1915. Um, if that name, some of y'all are shaking your heads. Um, she's kind of a big deal. <laughs> she wrote somewhere between eight and 9,000 hymns. Um, if you grew up in a church that used a hymnal, um, I did, um, you have heard of her songs. Even if you didn't, you probably have heard of some of her songs. Um, the Baptist hymnal, we were here yesterday doing some cleanup, and I found some in the back, and I actually have one uh, of my own at home. And Of the 600 or so hymns that are in the Baptist hymnal, um, Fanny wrote 17 of them. So she was one of, if not um, the most number of hymns are hers. And so this particular hymn that I thought about as soon as Matt told me about this, it was actually Blessed Assurance, Jesus Is Mine, because the line right after that, um, is, Oh, What a Foretaste of Glory Divine. And I started looking through this lady and the things that she had done. And here are just some of, some of the hymns that she has written. You, you write 8,000 hymns, there are going to be some stinkers in there for sure. But there's going to be some top tens in there that you've heard of. So um, he, the, this are, these are some of the ones that um, that Fanny wrote. To God Be the Glory. Most of us have heard that one. Tell me the story of Jesus um, all the way my Savior leads me. Praise him, praise him. I am thine, O Lord. Um, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Um, he hideth my soul. Um, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Um, rescue the perishing. These are just some of the songs um, that she wrote. And she was also um, very involved with rescue missions in New York City, especially where she was from. Um, uh, just helping the, uh, the poor there, helping immigrants uh, she lived in some pretty um, difficult um, parts of the city, pretty rough areas, and so she saw this need and she saw an opportunity to serve the Lord um, through that. So she's known for being a, a very prolific hymn writer, but also being very involved with doing the Lord's work and serving people physically. So um, so that was the first thing that I thought about, um, and then I'll share you a little bit more later on about, about Miss Crosby. So, Today we're talking about chapter 40, which is the culmination of the Exodus story. So it might be a good thing for us to do a recap, okay? Don't worry, I'm not going to recap every single thing because a lot of stuff happened in, in Exodus. But there's some things that I think is just good for us to, to be reminded of. So Exodus picks up a few hundred years after um, the events of Genesis. You know, Joseph and his family was there in Egypt, and they were in a pretty significant position. Joseph was number two to the Pharaoh. Well, years had gone by, that Pharaoh was gone, and the Pharaoh that was in power had no, um, he he didn't care. Uh, He was actually worried about the Israelites. They had grown, they had increased in number, and he was worried that they were gonna rise up and try to overtake them. And he was so worried about it, it got to the point where he was gonna um, have all children, all male children killed. So that's where Moses comes into the story. We, We hear about Moses being born, He was born into captivity, Um, and then his parents said, well, we need to do something um, to save him. They hid him as long as he could, and so they did what any parent would do. Um, They put him in a basket made of bulrushes and stuck him in a crocodile-infested river um, to wait for the pharaoh and the Egyptians who intended to kill little boys to find him. So that's a great idea, right? That's what I would have done. We have no indication that God directed them to do this, but surely there was some kind of You know, hey, this would be a good idea kind of situation. So they do, and uh, Moses actually is found uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, as you know, and um, ends up going from being in captivity, marked for death, to growing up in Pharaoh's house, being raised as one of his own. Um, So he grows up, and you know the story. He actually um, gets to the point where he sees this argument, and he actually ends up killing an Egyptian. He flees to... um, to Midian, uh, where he lives for years. And then he encounters the burning bush. This is God in, um, coming to Moses and saying, I want to use you to do my will. And uh, Moses, uh, I'm not like Moses in very many ways, but I definitely am like Moses in I can come up with some excuses, no matter how poor. So he's, he comes up with excuses. I can't talk very well. You know, how are you going to use me? And I love... It's not meant to be funny, but I love God's response. He's like, who made your mouth? <laughs> I mean, I, that, you can't argue with God. You're not going to win. You can argue with him, but you're not going to win. So Moses and Aaron finally um, uh, understand what God's called him to do. They go back to Egypt. And then we have the story of the ten plagues, the final being the worst, the death of the firstborn. And uh, finally, after God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh uh, lets him go. And then he has his change of heart, takes out after him. You know about the Red Sea dividing, and then God engulfs the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Um, They're out in the wilderness. They're hungry. They're thirsty. God provides manna from heaven. He provides quail. He provides water from a rock. So all these things that God is doing to take care of them. And a little further on, they get to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up on the mountain, and he receives the Ten Commandments and then a lot of other laws. So he's getting these instructions from God and he is communing with God. God promises a conquest uh, of Canaan, uh, the promised land. Um, God makes a covenant. And he says, Israel will be my people and I will be their guide. Uh, All this stuff's going on. He's laying out the preliminary uh, ground ground rules for the Ark of the Covenant, for tabernacle instruction, all this stuff's going on. And while... uh, and how to consecrate the priests and while all this stuff's going on the people are at the base of the mountain and they're getting impatient and they they don't know what god's doing they don't know what moses is doing he's been gone a long time and so they talk aaron into making some gods for them and and heart covered this story uh, a few weeks ago another case in point where you know aaron says well we just threw all this gold in, into the fire and out pops this calf um, Another humorous part of the story, but sad. Um, any of you that have kids or were a child at some point in your life, <laughs> you know that that's the way kids are. Like, uh, Sierra's not here today, so I can tell this story on her. We walked into the den one morning, and uh, you know, uh, khaki colored walls look a lot like uh, a whiteboard in some ways. And so she had taken it upon herself to craft some art uh, on our den wall. And she's standing there with a the crayon in her hand, and we're like, who did this? Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I can't throw it all on Sierra. I did the same thing when I was little. Um, but just like this, Aaron's saying, I, I had nothing to do with this, God. I just put the goal in there because they were making me, and then this calf popped out. Man, um, I'm not an Israelite um, that I'm aware of. Ancestry.com does not go back that far. Um, but as far as I know, I'm not but I am very much an Israelite in behavior. There are plenty of times where I, uh, I try to make excuses um, to not be obedient like Moses did. I try to um, figure things out myself like the people in Aaron did. Uh, try to do things my way and that's when I fail. But today when we get into chapter 40 we're talking about obedience. Matt talked about it last week about them being obedient to what god has instructed them to do and we see what happens when we're obedient to god so moses comes down um he's he's angry at the people finds out what happens y'all have heard that story but um but he he interceded for the people and so the covenant was renewed and so that's chapters 1 through 34. matt covered 35 through 39 last week the title was, He Delights in in Obedience. So all those chapters were talking about the instructions for constructing the tabernacle and the items that were to go in it. So here we are in chapter 40, the consecration of the tent of the tabernacle. So the first 15 verses are instructions. So all the things that God was kind of getting them ready and telling them to prep to go into the tabernacle and when they set up the tabernacle, that occurs in the first 15 verses. So... God said the first day of the first month, so it's been exactly a year since the Exodus. So he has given them this list of things to do, and Moses does it. So let me go through the list real quick. He erects the tent, uh, puts the ark of the testimony in it, puts the screen, uh, screens the ark with the veil, brings in and arranges the tables, uh, does the same with the lampstands. Um, he places the golden altar for the incense before in front of the ark, uh, he sets up a door uh, of the tabernacle, sets up the water basin so that the priest Aaron and his sons can can wash and cleanse themselves, uh, sets up the court all around that area, um, he anoints the tabernacle, he consecrates it um, so that it will be holy. And he brings in Aaron and his sons, and just as he was instructed, washes them, he puts holy garments on Aaron, um, he anoints and consecrates Aaron, so that he will serve um, God as, as his high priest. And he puts coats on Aaron's sons and he anoints them so that they could be uh, the priesthood. So all it's all this stuff that Moses was required to do. But Moses did it all. And one of the things that I said, the commentaries that uh, that I used today, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff on chapter 40. Uh, a lot of stuff on uh, earlier parts of Exodus, but. Um, this is the climax. This is the end. This is why all this other stuff has been happening for so long. But one interesting thing I did see in one, one of the commentaries is that every time he went through a verse of something that Moses did, like setting up the lampstands or setting up the tables or putting the ark in the veil, every time he said it, he would end that paragraph with, with, but the glory did not come down. After every task that Moses completed God still didn't come and fill the tabernacle with his glory. There was one more thing to do. So Moses had done everything that he was required to do. He had done everything that God had asked him to do. But yet, there was one more thing to happen. So um, those of you that know me, and know what I do for a living. I'm I'm a civil engineer, and that's a pretty broad um, uh, discipline. But specifically, I'm a transportation engineer. So I've been doing transportation for 30 years. Uh, two plus years, and uh, um, and being in that industry, you kind of know what goes into making a road, okay? When I got married, Leanne, I'd been in the industry for a while, and I realized not everybody knows what goes on, and, and being in public events and trying to explain the process to people, you learn pretty quick that a lot of people think that you can just follow the bulldozer with the paving, paving machine, and that's how you make a road, and there's a lot more to it than that. Um, So what you do in the process of building a road is you have to go through all these tasks. So just as Moses had a lot of tasks to get the tabernacle ready for what its purpose was, there are a lot of tasks you have to do when you're doing uh, engineering a road. So you um, you do traffic analysis, you do environmental um, research, um, you figure out what's the best path for this road, and I'm talking about new locations, of roads, You do utility coordination. You do hydro design. That's what I did when I first got started in Lynn. She had no idea that there were pipes under the road. Like, is that a surprise to everybody? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, water's got to go somewhere. So it goes into pipes that go into bigger pipes that go into bigger pipes, and then they go to the river or they go to a stream or something like that. It's got to get off the road. So all these things are happening. There's road design. There's design of bridges if that's part of it and there's a lot of different design components like slopes of the shoulders of the road and just all these things that you have to do and that's before you even start building it so think of that as the instructions that were going on in chapters 35 through 39 and then 40 is when Moses built it he builds the tabernacle as he was instructed so with the with the roadway you'll clear the area um, you'll start at the bottom you'll build up drainage you'll build up uh sub-basin base and then pavement for your roads to build your bridges. The final things you do are like striping and reflectors and um, signs and things like that. But um, I've, there's been times where I've been on a road that's a brand new road that's never been driven on and I've driven it before it's open to the public and that's weird. It's a really weird feeling. Um, I drove on I-526 around Charleston before it was open to the public. Um, I drove on the Southern Connector, which is on the southwest side of Greenville before it was open to the public. Um, Because I am really old, I drove on I-77 before it was open to the public between Columbia and and Charlotte. Uh, That didn't always exist, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, So all these roads, and being out on these roads, even when I-85 was diverted and a new location was built north of Spartanburg, I I was on that as well. And it's just weird, and it's even weirder when you're driving down the wrong side. So if you're on the interstate and I'm driving eastbound in the westbound lane, that's really weird. But no cars are there, so it's just no big deal. But um, but it's just a strange thing because all this stuff was done to prepare for something, but the something isn't there yet. It's not until the something's there that it fulfills its purpose. So just like A road that is constructed, is constructed for who? It's constructed for us. It's constructed for people that drive and need to use it as transportation. The tabernacle had a very clear purpose. It was constructed so that God could fulfill his promise and come and dwell among his people. So Moses and the nation of Israel had done all they could do. They had repented, they had been obedient, they had come back to God, they had prepared the tabernacle, but yet it wasn't until God in his glory filled it that its purpose was complete. So Steve just read to you verses 34 through 38. I won't read those again, um, but that's the fulfillment of this promise. God said in Exodus 29 verse 46, 45, he said, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And here he did what he said he was going to do. He has come, and he's dwelling with his people. Now, chapter 40 is the end of Exodus. good news is it's not the end of the story. Now, this is the point where God was living among them. They would have the fire by night. They would have the cloud by day. They didn't move unless God moved, so they were with him. It's it's the end of that story, but it's not the end of the redemptive story where Jesus comes in. So there's one more thing about Fanny Crosby that I didn't share earlier. Um, Fanny was, um, she wasn't born blind, but she became blind as an infant. So she she had no memory of sight. But yet when you listen or read some of the words, she was a lyricist. So she would write the words and somebody else would write the music. And the way she describes God's glory, um, she didn't have this visual image. She was going only by what Scripture told her that God's glory was all about. So it's really neat when I think about that is that she... She didn't have this preconceived kind of idea of what glory would look like, or brightness, or anything like that, because she had no vision. Uh, it reminded me of Paul's verse in 1 uh, Corinthians, where he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So when we think about glory, um, and she mentioned in that song, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Um, man, she wasn't basing it on her sight or anything like that, but she was basing it on what the Holy Spirit was telling her about glory that was coming. So, tabernacle is gone, long gone, right? But we don't need the tabernacle anymore. That tabernacle was just a foretaste of the glory that God had prepared for us in Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. If we look at some scripture here, Colossians 1 verse 19 says... For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. John chapter one, verse 14 tells us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrew chapter one, verse three says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. So, While we should be encouraged by the stories that are in Exodus, and it's a narrative. It's a history book. It's a story of God drawing his people, but we can look at it and relate to it because just as they were in captivity and did not have the ability to save themselves, we're the same way. We're in captivity to sin, our sinful nature that we're born into, and we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. We can only be saved through grace by faith in Jesus Christ. So when you think about that, the fact that we don't need a tabernacle anymore, but there was something else about the tabernacle uh, that we do need to remember. Moses was not allowed to enter. The verses that Steve read said he couldn't go in there. It wasn't until sacrifices and atonement was made for sin that someone could go into the, the inner part of the tabernacle. Well, since that tabernacle doesn't exist anymore or that tabernacle has been replaced by Jesus, Jesus is that perfect sin atonement. So because of what Jesus has done and the price that he has paid, we don't have to do the daily sacrifices. You know, right after Exodus, you go into Leviticus and you start learning about all these laws and all these things that you have to do and check off. And aren't you thankful that we're not going through that? as was needed and required at the time. Because we are post-Jesus, God in the flesh, coming. So we do not have to do those same things because Jesus paid it all. Another hymn that Fanny did not write. Um, but a very good one. So when we think about that, think about that, that grace that Jesus provided for us. Not because of anything we've done Even if we were like Moses and we checked off all the boxes and we did everything that we were asked to do and required and and we were obedient, that doesn't save us. It's only through God calling us to Him and Jesus providing that perfect atonement for sin so that we can be saved through grace. So one thing that happened that Jesus used to kind of remind us of this kind of goes into our our closing time of of communion. Um, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper right before his death, and it was a reminder for his disciples and for us now um, of the glory to come. In Luke 22, verse 20, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. So he is talking about that initial covenant, that we studied about in Exodus, and that relationship between God and his people, Jesus is the new covenant. And as we gather today for communion, is to remember that Jesus paid the price. And there are no, um, this is a weird looking shirt, but it's not as weird as what Aaron had to wear, okay? We don't have to follow those things anymore. We have to follow Jesus and put our trust in him so, as the band comes, uh, we're going to go into uh, a communion time now. And uh, just wanted to remind you this is a family meal. Um, if you uh, wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, um, you're still trying to kind of figure out um, where Jesus, you know, where that relationship is, and do you trust in him uh, and have faith in him as your Savior, uh, we'd ask that you don't participate. Uh, and that's fine, because it wouldn't be appropriate if you did, if you weren't a believer but we really would love to talk to you about what it means um, to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to realize that there's nothing we can do. We're never gonna do enough to save ourselves. The only way to salvation is through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. So um, let let me close this in a prayer. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for just this study of the book of Exodus, how we have seen um, how easy it is to try to um, do things on our own, how likely we are to try to make excuses, how, uh, how frequent we'll make our own golden calves instead of focusing on you. Father, I pray as we uh, take communion now that it won't just be something that's a habit, but that we'll understand that this is representative of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the sacrifice that only Jesus could make for us. And because of that sacrifice, and because of his obedience, and because of his sinful life, we can have atonement, and we can have salvation through your Son.